Hey listeners, it's George K. Just a quick announcement that Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks will be taking a break to celebrate the end of season one. Both George A. and I will be at Black Hat and DEF CON this year. You can hang out with us and a whole bunch of other podcast all-stars on August 9th at 5 p.m., including Hacker Valley Media, The Cyber Queens, and Audience First. Register at cyberpodworld.com. That's cyberpodworld.com. We will return to our regular program after Black Hat. And now, on to the interview. Welcome back to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And today, our guest is... Evgeny Kham, cybersecurity architect, evangelist, and advisor. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Very, very happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to be on other people's podcasts and talk to very smart, intelligent people. Ah, flattery will get you everywhere. But uh, let's start with the quick and dirty of how you got into cyber. So my story, I don't know if it's unique, but it's definitely different from the majority of the people I know. Because I was, I was in the Navy in Israel for five years when I started my IT mm. career. I learned about Linux. I learned more about Windows. I did my Microsoft uh, MCAC certification. And when I graduated or finished with my duties, I was looking for a job. And interestingly enough, my first job was in Checkpoint. And I work at Checkpoint doing QA and basically checking files, how they work. So mm-hmm. I started in cybersecurity by debugging, understanding how firewalls work. I was actually lucky enough to be working on the, one of the first UTM devices in the industry because my role was to check how HTTP is working, how we do inspection on POP3, SMTP, FTP. Mm. It was quite fascinating and quite interesting. And later on, I moved to Canada where I joined a company called Herjure Group as an professional service engineer to help deploy, install, upgrade checkpoint firewalls in the beginning. So it was a bit of a shock for me because I moved from Mm. R&D almost to look on the bits and nuts and debugging firewalls to something else because I didn't spend a lot of time working with user environments and real customers and more in the labs. And it was an interesting to understand about downtime, maintenance, before you even touch anything, you need to provide information, what are you going to do, change management, and all the fun stuff that I know you guys are very familiar. This is how I began the cybersecurity journey. But because I spent a lot of time in the firewall space, I was the guy that everybody blamed. Oh, you guys did a change on the firewall, <laughs> it's you. Uh, you definitely made a change or disable a rule. Oh, you change a clustering. So I learned everything around firewalls, how SQL is working, how database is working, clustering, switching, networking, and you name it, because people, everybody tried to blame on us uh, was that we did something, so I need to understand this I actually did it or, some, or something else happened. For sure. All right, well, we will take your vendor side background as the starting point, and that means that the CISO gets first shot. So over to you, George A. Awesome. And that's, uh, I really appreciate where you're coming from on that uh, background story, Vinny, because I, uh, like like yourself, I'm, a, I'm an ex-soldier. Uh, 
uh, and kind of happened upon this career and kind of figured it out as I went. So um, I, I really, you know, I, I'm the same boat as you. Like you think like the story is like unique, but then you find just a whole bunch of veterans in our industry. And I think that's kind of the direction of where it goes. Um, but, but I have to say, so I've run into you a few times now at different events. Um, you have a very, very cool, very unique level of energy to you that I think is welcome. It's refreshing. You know, like you're the kind of person that even if I haven't bought a single thing from you, I'm genuinely happy to see you. And it's, it's nice at a conference when that feeling comes, you know, you've also impressed me with your background, um, and the diversity, the experience, as well, you know, the work that you did with Robert Herjavec in the era right before and after his rise to mainstream stardom on Dragon's Den. You know, we call we had that really nice dinner at Barbarians uh, uh, a month or two ago. You know, it, it was just it was cool hanging out with you because it was like being with someone who was had a front row seat to something kind of historical in our industry when we were getting mainstream attention. So I have to ask you about that time. What was it like being in a uh, being a key leader? in an organization, an MSSP, no less, that went global <laughs> in fame overnight. So I didn't even feel this overnight, but first of all, thank you for the kind words you told me. It's very nice to hear this. For me, it was time because when I joined the company, we were literally 15 people and I was kind of joking. I am the senior mm. checkpoint engineer of the company because I'm the only one. But uh, <laughs> later on, we grew quite fast. I was managing a team and quite fast. I was managing uh, several teams, one with network, one with endpoint, things as well. And you don't feel it when you're inside the company, when you're inside the stream mm. that you're growing so fast. The moment you start feeling this is when you see Robert on CNN, when you suddenly have a call, like, hey, we need you to fly on Tuesday to Orlando to present, or we need you to be there, then you suddenly start feeling that, okay, we're not just a Canadian company, or they now mm. a Canadian company, we are more global. When you're flying to London, when you're flying to London, not Canada, London, London, when you're spending time in U.S. and you have a global reach, or when you're actually going with Robert, I still remember it was a very, very interesting experience. We were, I believe, in Boston. We were visiting RSA, and it was the day before. We just went for a bar for a beer and eat something, and Dragon's Den, sorry, Shark Tank was on TV. So there's a couple of us with Robert just having you're talking about what you're going to do tomorrow in the meeting and watching Shark Tank. And the lady <laughs> right near us, looking on TV, looking at us, looking <laughs> on TV, looking at us, looking on TV, and looking at Robert like, is this you? And it was just so funny. Like, yes, it's him. Because it was so real. And with time, it was even more fascinating because you see global companies that are sponsored by other companies growing fast. And Herjavec was unique in this way because it was sponsored by Robert. For 18 years, it was basically mm -hmm. not sponsored by anybody else. It's not an easy company to work there. Don't get me wrong. It's a very fast environment. There's a lot of demand. There's a lot of business. There's a lot of key things to do. But it's definitely a learning environment when I learned a lot. And now when I graduated last year, after 15 years being there, I now use the connections, the knowledge, the communication skills I learned there. I will, I will say to your credit as well, when I got into um, the industry and I got my first MSSP job at a, at a big global firm, um, you guys were a direct rival competitor to us because uh, we were based <laughs> in Ottawa. And I remember in the SOC at the time, the amount of uh, just 
I think of it like like it's a sports team a little bit because you're on a, you're on a soccer team a little bit. Just so much shit talked. The fucking Herjavec <laughs> group. Fuck those guys. Only losers work. <laughs> and you guys were doing so well. But it's just funny because now it's like you come full picture. You meet people that work there. Everything is friendly. It's professional now. It's nice. And you think back to early in the career. You know, a lot of people, I think, you know, that, that level of success, man, it's just at that time, especially, it was unheard of yeah. for people in cybersecurity. Yeah. It was a lot of drive. And actually, Robert has a book called Drive. A lot of good communication between people. So funny story, because it's just missing communication. Early, early in the days, Robert sent us to Texas to do a Rangers training. Something that I'll explain. It's actually a very cool idea. Something that he, Sean and George, the founders did, I don't know how many years ago in the, in the previous company. So the idea is three guys that were used to be US Rangers realize that the skills of communication they have in Rangers are very applicable to business. And then a lot of the time, people get lost. I don't know what to do because somebody forgot to tell them what happened. So they created a very unique uh, idea in my mind, where they teaching people how to communicate better with paintball. You're actually going to a woods for three days and your entire day <laughs> alternating between theory and then you're going and for a war uh, with paintballs against three or four Marines that have automatic weapons, paintball, nobody got killed, and you have manual paintball guns. And the idea was <laughs> if you're not doing stuff and you're not implementing what you learn, you get shot. <laughs> and, and it's a bit of pain. So one of the main parts that was kind of delivered there is how to deal with stress, how to deal with change, because change takes mm. time to, to understand and consume. But the most importantly, one of the lessons I still remember really well, that I was the, command, the commander for the night mission, and I needed to explain to everyone what's happened. And they were teaching us that you need to be very open with the communication and explain to people what's going to happen. So what they did, literally five minutes before we were doing the mission, they took me aside and tell me, you're no longer a commander. You're one of the soldiers, and you're not allowed to say anything. Mm. So if I didn't explain to everybody what we're doing and how we're doing this, then basically we're going to fail the mission. Very applicable to businesses because we don't always communicate. We think you don't need mm -hmm. to know only only the stuff you need to know right now when you do this and we'll tell you what what's happening. So the bigger picture is lost. People doing the work, but we're more managing versus leading. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm all for uh, physical pain as an instructive force. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I want to change uh, tack a little bit here. You know, before we started recording, we all spoke about some of the gripes we had about uh, conferences and events and, and marketing and sales. And that was a common thread. And especially now as we're heading into the heavy back end of the year for conferences. Um, I want you to relate to us both the best and the worst experiences that you have had attending security events. And that can be either on the, on the buying side or the vendor side you, you choose, but what is something that you had a great experience and you're like, yes, this is the way it should always be versus the worst, which is like the eye roll or the 
just really so irritating. There is, there is another one because I have a unique opportunity to have my own conference. So I was just not attending as a buyer or as a vendor, but right. I also had my own conference. So we'll talk about this a bit later. So fundamentally, before COVID, the most engaged and the best conversation and the learning experience I had is the people I met when I was waiting for the talk or for the panel mm. in the hall. Or somebody I would literally sit during the lunch or dinner and talk. And when I started going to the conferences, I realized I don't, I cannot be shy. If I'm going somewhere, I need to go and see the people I don't know on tables because this is my opportunity to meet new people and not just hang mm. out with my friends. I know I have a lot of time to hang out with my friends later on in the evening, for example, or during the day or during I mean, other days. So there was something I learned right away is that when the conference has created opportunity for people to network and to talk freely, it's one of the best things. First of all, you learn something new. You find new friends. Potentially, it's going to stay friends with you for a longer time. And you're going to have new connections. There is a very interesting uh, Russian language expression that it's better to have 100 friends versus $100. And to add on top of this, it's better to have 100 friends in different organizations. Mm, so the connection okay. you meet, the connection that people you understand will later on will help you to solve problems, to learn something new, maybe close the deal, maybe learn an escalate a problem. Because as part of me being working for MSSP, one of my main opportunities, problems, we just talked about problems before, was, okay, something happened with my customer. There was deployment, there was an engagement, and it's not working as the customer expected to work. I need to escalate with the vendor because the problem with the vendor. So how quickly I can find the right person in the vendor, they're mm. actually going to help it. So going back That's to conferences, point. for me, it was definitely networking, talking to people, meeting new people, staying friends and meeting people later on. The pro part I don't like is when you try to book and learn and there is multiple uh, streams of communication and you don't know what to choose. You don't know how mm -hmm. to navigate and how to run. I remember reInvent 2016 was in four different hotels. Like I didn't know where to run how to, and what to do because I yeah. wanted to consume everything. And it basically didn't work. But definitely one of the biggest lessons learned right away after several conferences, if you're going to a conference without agenda, then it's a bad idea. Understand what exactly you want to achieve. Are you going just to network? Are you going to learn and attend talks? Are you going to mix and match and how much time you're going to spend there? Are you going to want to learn about new vendors that we know in companies, in companies like RSA, you maybe have 30 seconds if you want to reach, meet every vendor and you're probably not going to remember <laughs> of them. And the last part here, figure out how you're going to take notes. There's no way you're going to remember on day three what you did mm -hmm. on day one. So if you have a good way to use OneNote, notes, whatever the way you have to quickly write notes about who you met right now and why you met him, then again, you do not remember the, con the conditions why you need to follow with it. Brilliant. Sorry, from the vendor's part, so the vendor part is a bit different. You're going to meet people, and as a vendor, you not just want to meet people to know them in the future, you want to sell them something in the future as well or provide a service mm -hmm. to them something in the future as well. So you need to understand as a vendor, who are these people? Are they here to learn, to get your T-shirt, or they actually have a problem to solve? And all of them are okay. 
there is no bad intention here, but you just need mm-hmm. to understand what to do with them and why it's important. Because if I'm talking to you and you're a student that just want a t-shirt, fine. So maybe I'll say, excuse me, George, go talk to this marketing person or to the SDR. And if I see you're an architect, a CISO, a manager, a VP, a, a, a senior senior developer that come with a technical question, then I will spend time with you because I can do the technical part better, or I will have somebody that will talk to you. And this is the part that I sometimes feel vendors are doing bad because I attended as a vendor, as a managed services, and I saw different people coming to our booth to talk to us. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, George and I had talked about this once, and I forget if it was um, Chris Roberts or Mike Mello that had kind of revealed this sort of tip. But he, um, back when everyone had business cards, because those are kind of becoming a bit passe, he used to write down on business cards, yeah. like the context of how he met a person. So when he did the follow-up, he like had it framed. I think it's little tips like that. It just it, it triggered the memory as soon as you kind of mentioned that. Um so, you know, it's funny because you talked about the other conference. I was actually going to ask you about that directly. So, you know, I was so amazed at, uh, at I believe it was a CISO forum when you brought it up, um, the the ski and cyber conference, which just as a concept, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's brilliance. I mean, personally, I would love it if we had like a regular cyber sports camp type conference generally where you do cyber for half the day and sports the latter half. I was actually, when I was in grade school, that was actually a, a program that my school board put out that I got to participate in, where you spent half the day doing basic, basic computing on a Mac, and the other half of the day was sports. Yes. Um, I wish we did it as adults. I don't know why, but you are bringing it back. It is awesome. Um, I, I kind of want to know kind of what gave you the idea to start this how did it go, and and do you see kind of an appetite for more events like this, where we're actually bringing in a physical team building, not even necessarily team building, just you're doing something out there physical with people that you work with, either as colleagues or greater industry level, and you're still talking, you know, the usual cyber stuff, but it, it's that that variation of the day where it gives people a whole mm-hmm. comprehensive experience. How did you get that idea, and how did it go? Okay, oh, it's thank you. This is very important in my mind, and I have was, had a lot of ideas why, and I'll explain what was the logic and how we got there. First of all, yes, I think it's a great idea to have sport and industry. We had an idea also to do something around bicycling. Bi- biking, we may do it next year in the summer. First of all, we need to do the the second conference in the winter. So it was an idea between me. As a guy named Tony, and then other people help as well, Jessica and Tony's wife as well, Megan. The idea started with me doing a snowboard instructor training. And I realized during this training how easy it is for me to connect with people that I'm doing the training with. Because I have to go with them on a lift for two days. And every time we're going on a lift, we're talking. We're not just in our phones. Mm-hmm. Well, this is interesting. I'm actually talking to these people. I should get known to these people. This is one part. And I realized it's a very easy way to connect because we hear when we have a common goal. And back to talking about the idea of conferences, I like the idea of networking. So in yeah. a way, I wanted to check an assumption. If I bring people to a place where they have common interests, do I need to do anything else or not? So basically think about this. You like cybersecurity, mm-hmm. you're in ski on snowboard. 
what else do I need to do? Bring food and alcohol? That's it. <laughs> you know, yeah. They will find the common ground. Because if you go to a conference or to a meetup, and I don't know George, like, hey, George, how are you? Who you are? Mm-hmm. What do you like? We need to find this common ground to talk to. In a ski and snowboard conference, first of all, nobody wearing a suit. I don't care if you have Armani, Gucci, whatever you have. Everybody just skiing or snowboarding. So I easily can open the conversation. What do you like to ride? Because you have a snowboard. Yeah. What are your preferable mm-hmm. mountains to ride? And it doesn't matter if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you're a CISO. It just basically matters about what you do there. So I came back from the snowboard training. I put on LinkedIn basically a comment or post like, guys, why we don't have ski and snowboard shows, conferences in the industry. And I got positive reply. Okay, great. And I left it there. It was February. Later on, it was November last year, I went to one of our local ski hills to buy equipment for my kids. And I just put a picture on Facebook. A friend of mine, Tony, reached to me like, oh, I know this place. This is near a private hill that I am part of it. Long story short, me and Tony hooked up. He arranged the private hill to give us a private hill. So we were able to have the entire here to ourselves. And we did a conference in March. So the idea was to test and understand if I will do this networking event, will people will connect? What else do we need? We actually limited the speaking engagements to a minimum. Every vendor that had a speaking spot only had 20 minutes. And I asked them, mm-hmm. don't pitch me on a product. Tell me a customer story. So we had this part, and I think it worked well. There's a couple of things that we need to change and modify, definitely. But the idea was to let people network, let people communicate, and figure out what's happened. We had 150 people. I think it was a great success for our first conference that I never did a conference, and Tony also never did the conference. We learned a lot. And one of the main lessons for me and experience as well is to deal with vendors from a perspective, I don't want to buy your product, but I need you to go and sponsor my event. This is, this is something I never did. Mm-hmm. And this kind of brings the conversation to who are I dealing to? Why the vendor want to come to my conference? Because 99% of the conferences are sponsored by vendors, not because somebody got a ticket. Right. Why vendor want to sponsor it? Because they want leads. Because they want more brand recognition. And here where I was blown away and I didn't know what to do. And it thanks God to several marketing people in the industry that actually helped me to navigate this and explain to me why I have these questions and help me to kind of navigate in the right direction. Because the moment I send the vendor, this is what we're doing, like, hey, how many people are going to be there? Like, around 200, 150. What kind of people? We're going to be only CISOs. It's like, probably not. You know, I don't want to <laughs> just have an exclusive event for only CISOs. Why? I want everybody to come in that like, skin snowboard security. Yes, I don't want it to have 150 students in there. I want mix and match. But I cannot commit it's going to be only CISOs there. I think it's wrong to only have CISOs there as well because other people make decisions as well. And then, okay, would we have list of all the people? It's like, no. It's like, but we need this list of all the people. It's like, why? Because if you're going to email them about <laughs> our amazing products, it's like, but you're going to have all these people there. Why cannot talk to them while you at the networking <laughs> event and tell them about your amazing product? And if they like it, then you're going to have the business card, write it down the name and follow up with them. So this was completely misunderstanding between mm-hmm. what they want and what I want. And I went to sales leaders, the guys, explain to me, what do you want? Because I kind of knew what I think I want as a vendor. 
do you want a thousand leads, hundred leads, or ten leads? One thousand just number of people list that they got from somewhere. Like, oh, I saw you attended these conferences, and you probably want to know about my product. Like, no, I don't. Or you hundred people that came to my booth and spoke to me because they wanted a t-shirt, or just maybe want to understand more, or 10 people that spoke with me and actually told me, I like your story, I like what you're doing, I want to learn more. And this is, I think, big problem in Delta in our industry. And, uh, well, what was the answer that you got when you asked that question? <laughs> the, the nine out of 10 salespeople that are actually, I'm talking about mature salespeople, told me, uh-huh. we want the 10 people, we want the hot leads. We don't need everything. SDRs mm-hmm. were okay with the hundred people because they can work with them potentially. Mm-hmm. But the people that don't want to waste their time, if they can only have 20 calls a day, for example, I want to have this 20 calls with people that care about it and not with 19 that don't care and one that care. But you know, yeah. it's funny. That's a, that's a regular theme with our show, right? It's, it's quality of interactions over quantity. But again, where I really like on a human level, the approach to having a conference that's a cyber conference with industry individuals that has a physical activity component is on a basic psychological human level. And you know this from your time in the army, when people have shared, I don't want to say hardships or just shared physical successes or overcoming challenges, it automatically sure. creates a different level of trust and chemistry and, which bonding. Natu- and bonding. Exactly. And that naturally opens things up to have trust-based conversations where, hey, I just, you know, I've been playing dodgeball with this dude all day, or we've been playing soccer all day, or Mm. or whatever, we've been skiing all day. We had a really cool conference in the morning where we did presentations, we saw some new software that was coming out or technology. Now it's nighttime, it's dinner, it's the bar. People are at that point, they have enough familiarity with each other that they can have honest, open conversations. And I think at the core of your idea, other than it being really fun, that is the brilliance of what you've kind of enabled as a platform that ready-made enables that kind of bonded chemistry between potential clients and potential sellers. So yeah, I want to it, add lowers, to this. it lowers all the artifice, right? Like yeah. in a regular cyber conference, we are all here because we are in this industry. But when you add that second component, which is in this case, the skiing and snowboarding, there is a a way to connect outside of just simply the industry that you're in. And yeah, the longer you're there, the longer you have conversations and you start to discover more about people. And as uh, my co-host always says, like you're going to buy from the people you trust and you can't build that trust if you don't have a common ground. But yeah, sorry, you were going to say something. Yeah, so we had this joke. I think Tony came out with the idea. It's a perfect elevator pitch because unfortunately the hills in Ontario are small. So it only takes like a minute, two minutes to go up. And it's basically become, become a perfect pitch because if I'm with George nice. on 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 uh, on the lift, I can pitch to George, and if George didn't like my pitch, he's like, okay, thank you very much, and he was ski or snowboard somewhere else. <laughs> but if they like the conversation, you're gonna continue going with me up and down because you like the communication. And funny right. enough, in one point, there was a number of people that went up, and they stay on top of the hill for like ten minutes didn't go anywhere because they were so consuming the conversation about cybersecurity. That's great. Yeah. So instead of an elevator pitch, a ski lift pitch. Ski lift pitches. Um, so, uh, so we're going to take a short break that wraps up the bare knuckles portion. We're going to come back to the brass tacks. Um, yeah, we will be right back. Hey listeners, if you like what you hear, be sure to like subscribe and share, follow our LinkedIn page for updates, including swag giveaways. Now, back to our conversation with Yevgeny Kharam. 
All right, and we are back, and now it is the brass tax portion of the show. So let's talk about booth strategy. Evgeny, you brought up essentially the question of qualifying, right? Somebody comes up to the booth, and you need to very quickly decide or determine, you know, are they here for the T-shirt? Or are they here with a legitimate business need? Are they a technical fire? Are they asking about business stuff? So what are your recommendations for booth staffing? What are the questions they should be asking? How should they be approaching people who come up to the booth? So it really depends on the person that's asking the questions and mm-hmm. I guess how open they are. As the simple things to do is to be polite and introduce what you do. So, hi, I'm Evgeny. I'm a technical marketing person. And now George needs to explain who he is because I just did introduction. Mm-hmm. So George told me, hey, I'm a student in university or I'm an architect there. So at least I know what you're doing. At least this is going to be the first one because majority of people would do it. cannot explain what they do and who they are. It's a very good indication <laughs> that uh, here's the T-shirt, go away. Because <laughs> I don't have enough maturity there. Now, and then he goes, okay, how can I help you? And you actually can give them choices. And this is related to the same idea when vendor pitch over a Zoom. Like, I can give you a T-shirt, but you don't have to say it. Like, you can enjoy one hour swag. I can do a demo with technology. I can explain how it's working. So I'm not asking you what you want to learn. I, I can kind of giving you rails, but give you choices. Mm-hmm. And you can still choose what to do, but I'm not, you cannot choose I want everything. So this way, you yep. tell me, oh, thank you very much. I actually just want to have this T-shirt, or I'm actually interested in this technology, and this will help you to navigate what they want, and not just trying to pitch right away about the technology. Yeah, and so that brings up one quick follow-up question. Does that have implications for how you staff that booth, right? You mentioned, do you need a technical person there? Do you need a marketing person there? Do you like What do you see as sort of the range of disciplines as so being in important? my humble opinion, it has to be a mix. And you mm-hmm. have to have a technical person. Depend on the size of the conference as well. Because mm-hmm. the bigger the conference, the more money you pay for the conference, the more people that are mixed you want to have there. So it could be a salesperson, SDR, marketing, technical, and you may rotate between them. But it's also completely okay to talk to person. One second, I'm a marketing person. I think it beyond my knowledge, but give me in one minute... I'll get George, Evgeny, John. Or if I don't have John, it's like, you know what? I want to continue this conversation. Would you able to meet later on for coffee or come tomorrow at 1 p.m.? We're going to have the exact person you need. Yeah, that's good. I think that is a very surprisingly open and honest way to do business, but I don't see it. I don't, I see people kind of fall into the trap of trying to explain their way out of a problem that maybe they don't understand. But I think, I think it's, perfectly fine to just say like you so know i've run to the limit about trust i mm-hmm. think we are so mature one of my friends just mentioned a very interesting kind of term about educated buyer so people are very educated people can sniff scrap and sniff bullshit right away yeah so if you are not who you are and don't get me wrong i do like the term fake it until you make it 
And sometimes we need to do that, and I do that as well. But you cannot just fake it and not make it. You have to actually <laughs> bring this bar higher, 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 and higher. So you fake right. it until you're learning, because next time you're not going to fake it because you already learned your lesson. So you're not doing this. Right. So you may be pretending to, to do level, but then you need to realize where you're stopping. Say, okay, I'm not going to go there. And yeah. call someone that actually qualified. For example, if I'm a technical person in the booth and somebody asks how much it costs, how do you license it? And I say, okay, you know what? We license this product by number of users. Unfortunately, I cannot tell you about the MSRP or the pricing, but I'm happy to bring XYZ that will talk to you about the pricing. Don't even try to go to this part. Hmm. That's good. Good. All right, over to you, George. I'd see that as an opportunity to actually be vulnerable at a certain point where like, hey, I'm going to show you I'm being honest. This is like the limit of my active knowledge on this right now or what I can help you with. But let me direct you some. I, I think as as a buyer, I appreciate that more than anything else, because if there's one thing that I can see through in terms of bullshit is when I'm dealing with a sales individual who's giving me a script, but they don't actually know what they're talking about. They haven't read. They haven't actually studied their product catalog they haven't actually used their product you there's a world of a difference and you're you're bang on yeah um, george only have a problem with the vendor society when you, you come to a booth you ask somebody a question and then basically every answer is i don't know i don't know i don't know it's like why are you even here unfortunately yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's the, for for organizations train your train your sellers give them time to actually learn what they're selling that's it's pretty basic um but it, I do have to kind of bring it back a little bit, though, because we're talking about non-traditional training methods, though that should be a traditional training method. How important is it for leaders in our industry on both sides of the aisle um, to seek out training experiences and opportunities in non-cyber settings? I mean, you spoke about rager training earlier to stress the importance of open and concise communication. In your experience, what other similar events or experiences or opportunities have you had or heard about that give that kind of outside-the-box approach to improving people's quality of professionalism? I think soft skills are fundamental right now. I have quite a lot to say about soft skills. I'm spending quite a lot of time in the area as well. But there's other training. And talking about concise communications, I think the easiest and the cheapest way to learn communication is actually Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. Because it's available, I think, almost worldwide. It's an amazing organization, and they teach you how to speak. They teach you how to get to the point. They teach you how to not to use filler words, because unfortunately, a lot of people will start, hi, I am mm, Evgeny, um, and I here to mm, present, you know, like the product. <laughs> And you're like, what are you trying to say? Are you a senior person? Seriously? So you can learn how to communicate more effectively, how to communicate more clearly. And I'm one of these people that learn to myself because you basically allocate a small part of the CPU in your brain to watch what you're saying and have a pause between sentences and not try to consistently say something that doesn't mean anything. So there is other trainings that are available. I think there is also training that can be done in a mentor way when you have a mentor in the company, outside of the company, that can control and explain what you do wrong and do it better. I am a very big believer on when you join a company, you listen to other people speak, communicate, and present or whatever they do, because this is what you need to do. And also when 
other people join the company and now you helping them, you giving them feedback. And again, you give them feedback to help them not to kind of bring them down. Yeah. Yeah. I want to turn this question over to you, George. Do you see, I want to turn it slightly differently. Do you see any areas where these trainings would be most effective, maybe not necessarily communication. We've touched on that a lot. I I see a lot of problems with the shift to remote work. I mean, it's 2023 and maybe we've been in it for long enough now, but I still see companies that like over rotate on meetings. They don't document. And I just think that there are some processes that didn't get really translated from in office to remote teams. And just curious if you see other facets of organizational leadership that have those at a, at a basic level and i appreciate the turnaround on it, at a basic level we should be emphasizing cohesion building right so when you're working mm-hmm. in a remote setting in my experience what's missing is the inherent human trust that comes from having worked in like an office together where you're sharing a space and yeah. it's it's kind of like evgeny's talked about it's not the actual meetings or events it's the waiting in line for coffee it's the, you know, mm-hmm. going for a uh, beer after work. It's, it's the, it's the stuff in between the cracks. That's where real chemistry gets built. Cause that's how people really get to know each other. So we're lacking that a little bit, especially in a remote setting. So I think one of the biggest things is putting together training events that really emphasize like, Hey, how can we build trust together that aren't like way too corny? Like that's kind of the challenge. And then uh, one thing that we do at my company is we try to make sure that at least once a month and once a quarter, like at a company level, we all physically get together. We physically get together. We do planning. We try to work through problems. We have a team of teams approach. We develop software together. Those kinds of communications, even if we don't solve all the problems during those sessions, that sit down time for one or two days, we're all physically sitting together in the same room trying to deal with things, then we're going out for food after, or we're, we're doing things in the evenings. That kind of thing pays dividends for literally the rest of the month and beyond. Yeah, It's just right. simple touches like that. If I may add, one part that I think changed, and it's a problem, at least for myself and the people I'm talking to, is let's talk about the vendor size for a second. If I am a vendor and I need to meet customers, and I can meet two, three, four customers a day because I need to drive somewhere, then I can only do four. Now, if I remote, I can meet seven customers a day because I can do one after another. So I don't have time to kind of think about what's happening or maybe mm-hmm. have a good notes. Now, the important part that I am missing sometimes is when I finish a physical meeting with someone and I need to go to a different physical meeting, I have time to decompress. Or I need to drive home from work I have half an hour, 15 minutes, an hour, depending on how long they get to work. But this is the time that I'm decompressing. I may be having a call. I may be even still working or maybe having a call with a friend. But right now, I'm jumping from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And when I'm done my work, I need to switch and go talk to my family right away. And I don't have this time or maybe still have the energy of frustration or happiness from work. And there's no time to decompress. Turning back to events and experiences uh Evgeny, i think one of the biggest complaints from the buyer side arguably is on follow-up right like you are just a badge scan and you get dumped into a sequence and you get 15 emails over the course of two weeks about whatever the hell what do you think is your ideal form of follow-up and this may follow on from the idea of quality over quantity but like how do you want to be engaged after the fact 
So there's two things. One, the industry problem we have is alignment between marketing metrics and sales metrics. If marketing is metric on number of leads, just Mm -hmm. any number of leads, you know, and sales are metric on number of closing leads, then they need to connect. Because in the end of the day, marketing are there for the sales. They're working for them to provide them leads. Again, there's different type of marketing, but you're talking about this part, not digital. So this is the important part. And it leads to how people want to connect to me back. So one is, I'm okay if you, sorry, one, when you get the information in a conference as a vendor, you need to understand how and you got this information. Perfect example. I was at a conference where I was speaking with the vendor. So vendor invited me to speak. Guess what I got a week after? I got an email from a different <laughs> vendor. Hello, you're just meeting at this conference. No, 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 no. It's like, seriously? Like, seriously, you don't even know why I was at this conference? It's so hard to get information that I was one of the speakers and not attendants. And it's okay. You can maybe ask me. So this part is the quality of information got coming from the conference to the people. And then the mm. CRM. Unfortunately, I see many vendors failing working with the CRM because they're not getting the correct information on sending the, the wrong information. And if I already get the information, because ideally I want to tell the vendor, you know what? I'm interested. Let me know more. Here is my LinkedIn. Here's my email. Talk to me. And if you send me the information and I'm telling you that I don't want to talk to you, please put it in the CRM. You know, please yeah. explain why I don't want to work to talk to you. This is yeah. we 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 have all this technology. We always talk about personalization. We talk about customization. We have all this way to hold the context. And yet somehow it's just like this baseline data dump and everyone's treated the same. We're failing in customer success in many different forms. Sometimes even before we started the journey with Mm -hmm. the customer success because we already have a bad start point. And I understand everybody needs to make the quota and everybody needs to make sure the VCs are happy. There's a lot of logic why. But at the end of the day, George as a buyer doesn't care about the VC or somebody needs to make the number. He cares about security of his organization because this is Mm -hmm. his role, correct? Yeah. All right. Uh, bring it home, George A. How do you maintain good relationships with people from so many diverse organizations for such a long period of time, even if they aren't yet your direct customers? So, first of all, I think it related to reputation. If you're trying to be a sleazy salesperson or engineer, it will catch up eventually. Mm-hmm. If you back to customer success, and asking about me or about general? <laughs> you bring a different style of doing things and a much different range of experience. And I think for the listeners, your expertise and your wisdom will provide a lot of knowledge. And that's yeah, really what we'd yeah. like to see. So one part for me, when I represent the company, I also need to understand that I represent myself as well. So when I'm going to a customer and I'm doing something for the customer, I'm thinking, if it would be my own company, would I do this or not? And this could be spending, buying an expensive lunch Mm. or treating with this person. And the reason why it's important, because if I will be this person, if I have my own company and I will do this for myself, then it's me. 
But if I'm just doing this for the company because I want to sell this product or do this, then it's going to hunt me later on when I'm going to join a new company or change careers. We do change careers from time to time. Yes, I was one, yeah. one, one company for 15 years. But this way, I will not just do rush in decisions that later on potentially say, hey, I worked with you 10 years ago. I didn't like the experience. So if you're doing a configuration, an installation, marketing, sales, whatever the work you do, do it as you do it from yourself. How would you do it from your own way and leave the impression that you want to leave to people if they're going to meet you later on? Again, everybody for themselves. Because for me, my personal reputation is important. This is actually one of the reasons why I didn't join a vendor because what do you do if the customer doesn't like this product? You don't have anything else to provide to them. As a VAR, mm. okay, okay, I don't have to push this product to you because there is a different product that's better for you. And I always was there to push the product they need and not just the product we want to push because they have a better margin, for example. So this important part, I think, is to treat people as your own company and not just the company you're working for. Yeah, I think th- I like that. I think that's really solid advice. Just take the ownership as if you are yeah. the, the company yeah. itself. Like we all, not always, how often we see somebody calling us, say, hey, I just joined this amazing company. It's the best product ever after sliced bread. And you look on their LinkedIn, they're changing companies every two years. Like, yeah, I know uh-huh. those people. Uh-huh. <laughs> every, how many sliced bread there are? <laughs> So, you, you know, you need to kind of understand why you're joining the company and not do this part. But for me personally is, uh, I guess, Dale Carnegie made a very big impact on me because I want to create connection with you and understand who you are. Because the next time I will talk to you, I'll remember that George like running and he's actually a fighter. And I don't know second yours too well right now, but I want to remember this part because I want to connect him on a more human being. When I was managing a professional service team in Herjavec Group, the, the part of it, we had this discussion, you going to someone to spend with them a week to upgrade their firewall, rebuild their SIM or whatever it is. Mm. What do you do? Like, do you bring coffee on the first meeting? Do you take them for lunch? And the reason why we had these conversations is it's impossible for me to work with you for a week, eight hours a day, and just talk about work. We're yeah, that would be mind-numbing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So learn how to get out of this part and communicate to them, not just because you have to, because you actually enjoy it. You have hobbies, they have hobbies. Learn about them. Maybe they like to ride a motorcycle. Maybe they like to play volleyball, whatever it is. Also, by doing this, by creating these connections, they later on want to help you because you were nice to them. You helped them. They want to help you as well. So this has helped me to create this uh, conversations, connections, and I'm meeting people right now. Like, oh, we remember you from 15 years ago. You did this X, Y, Z. It was a positive, warm reaction. Now, don't get me wrong. We actually have a show in uh, where we talk about failures because we all screwed up in our life. Like, I brought Netflix mm-hmm. down. And I think it's not that okay, but it's part of learning experience that we make mistakes. We just need to learn on them. Yeah. Great. Well, 
I think that's what we have for time. But Evgeny, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of the middle of your day to talk with us. It's been very fruitful. Very good questions. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Evgeny. Appreciate your time, man. Well, uh, that wraps it up. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks this week. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a rating or a review and share on all your socials. It helps others find the show. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.